Greetings, podcast listeners, and welcome to episode four of Becoming an Imagineer with Tom Thor, Thor Darson. In part four of Tom's journey to Imagineering, he'll continue his tale of working at Tokyo Disney Sea and creating the journey to the center of the earth attraction. It's an interesting tale. It's been great so far, and we're looking forward to part four and possibly even more. So sit back, relax, enjoy the story of becoming an Imagineer on all things Thor. Okay, so um, in the last episode on the subject of being an Imagineer and my personal experiences, um, I think I left off with the, um, you know, the first three months, you know, that I was there and uh, highlighted a few of the experiences there. So, oh, the airplane. Yeah, I talked about the parabolic arc and all that kind of stuff when we were trying to decide on the, the design from a, um, experiential, but also an engineering standpoint. So then, <clears throat> probably six, eight months into the into the my employment there, as I was developing this ride. Actually, maybe not even that long. I mean, six months at the most. Uh, they, the team was um, sending us in groups of like four to six or four or five to the site that Tokyo Disney Seas would be built. It was a landfill um, in Japan. So in other words, it was it was water before they, you know, dumped massive quantities of soil whatever else they do in order to create a, uh, a platform for something to be built upon. And it was an extension of the existing Tokyo Disneyland. Uh, now, again, I had been to Japan dozens of times before because I was uh, uh, the uh, executive creative director for the Mitsubishi Corporation um, as before I was um, involved with Universal. And so you can <laughs> imagine when you work for the Mitsubishi Corporation, you know, 50% of my interaction was with executives that were uh, Japanese. Now, they were trying to develop a creative division at that time. They were thinking about it, should I say. So a lot of really impressive ex-imagineers had, had worked there. Roly Crump, n- not worked there, but they had tapped into their um, creativity and hired them on a freelance basis. So, the, so uh, to do a uh, theme park... Um, concept before I got there that actually never got off the ground 
However, it had beautiful artwork and models done for for it. And um, so the, pl the place was in Glendale, and it was peppered on the walls with the artwork of Rolly Crump and uh, um, John DeCure, John DeCure Jr. Um, and others <clears throat> that you would all know. And uh, so they, you know, they meant business. Um, you know, they weren't, they were tapping into what they heard was talent that uh, could help them achieve some of these accomplishments. And somehow um, they had heard about me at, uni at uh, not Universal, where was I? Oh, I was I was still at Creative uh, uh, at Sequoia Creative as the director of design there, and um, one of my former employees. Again, in this case, I'll hold out on his name, but um, had left, and I well I supported his leaving the company that he was working for me. And went to Universal, and so he told the, you know, vice president of design there about me and his confidence that I could take on these this position they were looking for, and that's how I got into Universal. And um, we, I've already t told you about that whole experience. Um, it didn't work out for me, even though uh, I have great respect for the company. So anyway, back to Disney. Um, so now, <clears throat> they decided they were going to send us to Japan, not only to see this big dirt expansion where one day Tokyo Disney Seas would be built, but also to experience the culture. Now, again, I had already experienced this, but I certainly wasn't going to say no. Um and uh, it gave me the opportunity to get to be to develop a close friendship with three other co-workers um, and um, one was a, a girl and uh, t two guys one was one was responsible for um, the development of uh, uh, Indiana Jones um, and the Crystal Skull a guy who's an amazing artist who I, I think I, I could do a podcast on alone about what an incredible experience and and how much I, I valued our friendship and and, the, uh, and our conversations with each other. Um, and uh, anyway, um, Rather than get into those things, um, I'll just tell you. So we end up going to Japan, and it, it was it was uh, it was wild to be there. We got to meet um, some Imagineers who were stationed, I guess you could call it, in Japan, and I spent a lot of time there. And again, if you know my my experiences uh, uh, with Japan and developing relationships, friendships, uh, business relationships, everything is that um, 
you know, there was an arm's reach sort of distance always, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like I could go there and think that everyone was going to accept me 100%. I mean, Japan and their culture is very, 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 um, you know, um, uh, you know, it's very Japanese. (laughs) What can I say? You know, there's not a lot of diversity there. I mean, I think the first thing that would that struck me at least then was that you know 95 or more percent of everyone on the subway on the bullet train on the streets they were all japanese when i went to tokyo disneyland for the first time to to experience of our research i remember going down what was their version of main street and it's enclosed because it rains a lot in japan and so if you imagine Disneyland in Anaheim with a big giant canopy over it made of glass, broken up, you know, with structure, panels of, of glass and metal uh, structure, and much wider than Main Street in uh, Disneyland. That was the, you know, the, en- the entrance area. Um, with all the retail stores and everything like that in Tokyo Disneyland, and I remember I, I'm I'm not I'm not a particularly tall man. I'm I'm a little I'm about six one, which isn't um, you know shorter. It's not considered tall compared to other friends I have. But I remember walking down uh, the <laughs> main street. And it was so densely crowded that all I could see was a literal C, spelled S-E-A, of dark-haired human beings that were just below my eye level. And uh, it was just interesting. You knew you weren't as... uh, as they say in um, The Wizard of Oz, you weren't in Kansas anymore. (laughs) And um, it was interesting. It was also all the walkways and everything were so large and expanded because the the amounts of of visitors at that time in in the Japanese um, Disney parks were were pretty intense. So they had to to, uh, make walkways and everything much wider and there's a lot more expansion it didn't have the small more quaint feeling of disneyland for example uh it was probably closer to disney world but uh, i think even even more expansive so we went on this trip and um again the beginning there was a lot of fun and frivolity (laughs) between the the four of us um as we experience these various things and yet uh and so we got closer and closer and like i said that was the time when they said they admitted that when i first came on board they all hated me not knowing me because suddenly this guy comes out of nowhere where they had just had layoffs and they were afraid of their own jobs and 
blah, blah, blah. So it was a good job. I mean, a good trip for social bonding. And, uh, but we went to, one of the things we did is we, we went to, uh, I believe it was called Rapungi, Rapungi in Japan. Um, it, it was basically chucked full of bars and, uh, nightclubs. So we, we learned the hard way that, um, and it was quite a, a, a good experience for being, for, you know, I'm Italian and Irish. Um, so I guess I'm considered a white guy. Um, and so when I was in Japan and all of us were roughly the same, you know, we just looked like Americans and, um, we would go to these different clubs, some of which we were told we, oh, oh yeah, we ditched the interpreter. We had an interpreter with us, with us that spoke Japanese and the really nice hotel we were put up at. She went to bed just one night and thought we were going to bed too. It was probably about 11 o'clock at night. And we all communicated with each other and said, let's get the hell, let's get out of here. And let's go to this place that I've heard of called Rapungi and check out the nightclubs. Um, and that's what we did. We knew enough about how to get, you know, how to get on the subways or take a, in this case, it was getting late. So we took cabs and sometimes the cabs wouldn't pick us up. They'd see that we were Americans and they'd slow down and you'd think they were about to open the door and all of a sudden they would just speed up and leave. And I was told later that, you know, you know, don't be too, uh, don't be shocked if, um, especially the further you got out of downtown Tokyo, if, um, you know, there were some Japanese that weren't crazy about seeing you. And so it was the first experience of, um, discrimination I guess you could call it and at first it was it was funny to us you know we, I mean it's it, uh, it always was funny we were like you know but at the same time it brought to light what it feels like to be discriminated upon and they didn't mean anything bad I mean it was nothing near like what some of the stuff that goes on in our United States is like if you're african-american or um, you know most recently the whole experiences that are going on in the middle east and anti-semitism and all that stuff i mean it's nothing like that but it sure does give you an appreciation to experience something like this for what it you know feels like when someone just doesn't like you because you're not you don't look like them or that you you know are not of their culture so um, without this particular episode going on and on and on um, this whole trip was was just amazing we were all over the place we went to Kyoto and we saw a lot of the Japanese temples we did a lot of things um, and 
again, that night in Rapungi, we partied pretty hard. And uh, we had to be up at like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. Japanese time the next morning because the interpreter and everybody was taking us. I think we had to go to Osaka, and it was a fairly long train ride, you know, to Osaka from Tokyo. And, uh, but, you know, we still partied till about 2 or 3 a.m before we were luckily able to get a cab driver to pick us up after numerous attempts and take us back out of this area. But really funny names, too, of the clubs. I remember one one of the clubs was called Monkey Panic. <laughs> we go, oh, we got to go. It's a Monkey Panic. That must be hilarious. And there was another club, and I don't remember the name, but I would say it had the same look aesthetically as what the Playboy Club was like. As a matter of fact, I think it even had like um, slightly changed logos on it that looked like Playboy bunny ears and things like that. It was an upper end nightclub, and so we're like, you know, we had already had plenty to drink by then, and um, we're like, let's do this one now. And I remember we got in the elevator down below. And then uh, we're on our way up laughing and chuckling and everything like that to whatever floor this club was on. And the door opens. And there's all these people in there, you know, and these little tables and everything like that. And there's like a... Maybe it was... I guess we would call it a bouncer. Um, He was you know, like a host or whatever, all dressed up in a suit, and pretty decent-sized Japanese man. And the door opens, and we're all standing in the elevator with these big shit grins, you know, thinking we're going to be welcomed like celebrities. And the whole freaking club, as far as the eyes, I, I can say, I remember, looks, they suddenly get quiet, and, <laughs> and they look at, at us, goofballs trying to exit the elevator to join the fun. And they didn't say a thing. They were just quiet. They looked at us. You know, you'd think we had three heads, all of us. And um, the bouncer basically took his hand and pushed us back in the elevator. And he said, no gaijin, no gaijin. Which basically means you know, no non-Japanese are allowed here. So we got kicked out. We didn't get a chance to experience that particular club. Down we went. We went to... And by then we were getting really silly. And uh, again, we were also afraid that we weren't going to get picked up. And it was getting later and later. And the cabs were just passing us up every time we waved our, our arms. Because we were, we were basically in the in a part of town we shouldn't have been in as, you know, non-chaperoned um, Americans. And, uh, but we were too inebriated to realize that it wasn't hilarious, you know. So we're walking in the dark down the streets and uh, trying to work our way back towards 
what we thought was the direction of Tokyo. And we finally get picked up by this cab driver who agrees to pick us up. We get inside. And then, and this is true. The guy looked like, and this is a non-racial, um, don't take this as a racial comment or anything because I don't mean it this way, but he, this guy looked exactly like a Japanese version of the professor on Gilligan's Island. Exactly. And I, I, it, I couldn't figure out what it was about him that looked familiar, but then the one of the guys who was the writer on the, on the team, of course, whispers in my ear, laughing. He goes, oh my God, we got picked up by the professor from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> and then also all, th all the rest of us crowded into this taxi start laughing. He didn't appreciate it. He didn't know what the hell we were talking about or why we were laughing, but he didn't appreciate it. I think he was pondering where to kick us out or not. Luckily, he took us to our hotel and dumped us off. And uh, so we got there. And we went up to our room and um, slept for the remaining three hours we had. And so we all got up in the morning at the banging on our doors. Remember, this is when people didn't have a lot of cell phones or anything like that. We just had pagers. And because um, it was like 1996, probably. And um, so anyway, um, uh, we're, all, we're all just, we feel like crap, you know? We're hungover, everything. And she's an interpreter is rushing us to get on to get our butts going to the bullet train. We were hungry. We didn't have breakfast. And one of the guys, um, the Indiana Jones guy, who maybe later on I'll mention his name. I just don't want to infringe on any privacy at this right now. Um, but um, he he's like, I'm so freaking thirsty. But I can't tell what is in this vending machine. There was a vending machine right in the in the train in the uh, at the station we were waiting for the train to come along at, and it was all in Japanese. But there were photographs of the different drinks. You know, like it looked like. I mean, it, the only thing you kind of recognized was Coca Cola, but there was all this other plethora of Japanese drinks. The, the thing I liked was the. Uh, Ice coffee. They had a, a brand of iced coffee that was delicious. Um, but so he orders. He he sees this purple one, and it has it's and it has a grape on it uh, with something in Japanese. And he goes, "Oh, I love grape soda. I love you know. I love that. I'm gonna get one of those." thinking it was going to be like, you know, our traditional grape soda that you would buy. So he puts his um, yen or his, you know, his coin into the machine and this can, cold can falls out the bottom. The, the train is just about to arrive. 
and uh, oh my god, I'll never forget. You know, again, we're all just like half asleep. The hair, by you know, our hair is standing up, and our eyes are droopy. Last, and it, all he wanted was a refreshing grape cold drink to perk him up. And he takes a swig. All of a sudden, he turns it. <laughs> he, he, he turns his head, and he spits out. You know, spits it all out, and, and uh, off to the side, there was like a hedge behind us. And we're going, well, what's wrong? And he goes, and he's he's half horrified and half laughing his head off. And I, I said, what happened? You know, do, what, what's wrong with it? And what he described was that in this particular drink, it actually had pieces of grapes in the drink. So he was horridly surprised to take a swig of this grape liquid and get these strange squishy cold little chunks in his mouth you know when he was already feeling nauseated probably as it was from the night before and he spits this out and he was very pissed he was kind of pissed off too he's like god it's so frustrating not to be able to tell what the hell something's going to taste like you know something that looks sweet tastes salty and fishy and something that looks savory tastes sugary and you know he was just disheveled but it was pretty funny and then we boarded the train to Osaka and uh, you know not worth getting into the details of that because it was just to see the see the area and take in the culture and uh, and things like that. And we also did that in Kyoto. We went to some shrines and got to go inside there and had a beautiful evening, and, you know, where you walk and then the streets are all, had all these beautiful lights and there was these, um, these beautiful little shrines, you know, eight, hundreds of years old um, where you could, you know, take a sip of water with a a cup um, outside of it, uh, and um, you know it was a some sort of blessing and different things like that. It was a beautiful trip, and we bonded greatly. And uh, I'll never forget it. Actually, um, it was a it was a wonderful trip, and uh, I secured some really good friendships on that trip. So there's another little tidbit on my experiences as a Walt Disney Imagineer. Next one, we move on.